0: Happy Friday. This is Ozarks at Large for February 4th, 2022. This is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, figuring out a different way to tell the history of the University of Arkansas.
1: Down the hall from my office in in, uh, journalism and in student media, we have a big collection of Cardinal and Razorback yearbooks. And so I went down there and I just started thumbing through them all the way back to the early 1900s. Larry Foley talks about his new documentary, If This Walk Could Talk,
0: relaying stories of the U of A's first 150 years with Senior Walk as a starting point. And just ahead, our weekly visit with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics. The deadly seriousness of the Omicron variant is reflected in Thursday numbers from the Arkansas Department of Health 43 newly confirmed deaths were added to the state's total number of fatalities from the virus. There have now been 9,733 Arkansans who've lost their lives because of COVID-19. Hospitalizations in the latest report dropped by 70 patients. The number of active cases fell by nearly 4,000 in the 24-hour period. Parts of northwest Arkansas are shoveling again today after additional accumulation of snow last night. Schedules continue to have cancellations, postponements and shifts to virtual classes. One school district, Fayetteville, is going old school today and declaring it a snow day with no in-person or virtual learning. The snow day means the school year will be extended one day further and end on May 27th. The COVID-19 mass testing site at the Washington County Fairgrounds today is canceled because of the weather. The vaccine clinic at the J.B. Hunt headquarters in Lowell, originally scheduled for today, will now be hosted one week from today. The weather is postponing tonight's appearance of Fran Lebowitz at the Walton Arts Center. Her visit is now scheduled for Tuesday, November 29th. Tickets for the original day will be honored in November. Arkansas revenue last month came in above forecast, which could help the state maintain a strong budget surplus for the fiscal year. The Department of Finance and Administration said Wednesday net available general revenue in January totaled $715 million. That's 12 percent above the same month a year ago. Year-to-date revenue is 6 percent above forecast. Department economist John Shelnut notes the forecast was revised in December for the state to have a $264 million surplus by the end of the fiscal year in June.
1: This report through after two months is tracking above that prediction. So it looks likely that we're going to go above that surplus amount for year-end. Uh, it's, it's difficult to say how much more because we still have the income tax filing season and the refund claims coming up over the next uh, three months or so.
0: Governor Asa Hutchinson cited the strong sales collections when he proposed his $6 billion budget several weeks ago. That will be considered during a fiscal session of the legislature that begins on February 14th. Year to date, Arkansas has taken in $4.1 billion in net available revenue. Talk Business and Politics reports the tourism business in Arkansas is bouncing back, but hotel business continues to lag. The Talk Business Tourism Ticker report shows. The state's 2% tourism tax is on pace to top the $20 million threshold for the first time in 2021. However, the number of jobs in the tourism industry in Arkansas are more than 8% below the pre pandemic number. The full report can be found at talkbusiness.net. A search committee will help in the process of selecting a new permanent chancellor for the University of Arkansas. University System President Donald Bobbitt appointed the committee of faculty, staff, and supporters. Interim Chancellor Charles Robinson has been in office since his appointment last summer. President Bobbitt will ultimately recommend a candidate to the Board of Trustees of the University of Arkansas for final approval. And the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team playing its second road game in four nights. Lost at Texas A&M last night, 77-64. The Razorbacks have the weekend off, then will host Auburn Thursday night. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from his Fort Smith office is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, in case you forgot, it's February.
2: Yep, it's February, and I'm all snowed in at that Fort Smith office.
0: <laughs> well, we, we, I think every, every inch of our listening area got something in the, in the form of winter precipitation in the last 36 hours or so.
2: Yep. All right. Well, I like the cold weather, but enough of this. Let's get, let's get in on into the spring.
0: Yeah. I Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> it, uh, you are with talk business and politics. We're going to hit both ends on that ampersand. Uh, let's start with business and the latest from arc Best. earnings are looking pretty good.
2: Yeah, they, they, um, knocked it out of the park this year. Um, they had their, for the second consecutive quarter, they just posted their fourth quarter full-year earnings um, early uh, this week, Monday, I believe. Um, and for the second consecutive quarter, the revenue topped a billion, uh, billion dollars. Uh, their full-year net income was a little over $213 billion. It uh, was more than three times what they posted in net income uh, last year. Um, their full-year earnings per share hit $798, $7.98, which beat the estimate of $7, $7.84. Uh, and their full-year revenue was $3.98 billion, almost $4 billion. And that was up a little over 35% compared to last year. So by all metrics, um, they did very well. Shareholders ought to be happy. They've been they've been buying back shares, um, I think, over $110 million and share buybacks and dividends, Um, so shareholders should be happy. And, of course, this is primarily driven um, by the supply and demand issue. Um, You know, we've heard, unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard about all the supply chain issues um, that arose when the pandemic changed, how consumers around the world, not just in the United States, around the world, Change their spending habits, so that created bottlenecks in the supply chain. And folks like our best, which have both shipping, you know, they they're the parent company of ABF freights one of the largest less than truckload carriers in the country, but they also have logistics operation. So they're able to uh, anytime you push a demand for a service, that service provider is able to raise rates, which is what they've done. Um, and a couple um a a couple notes on that to to explain where they're making the money to 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 explain how this works. There's a term uh it's called average build uh, build revenue per hundred weight. It's a common term in the industry. It's a closely watched metric to, to show how the company is done. Their average build revenue per hundred weight was $39.70 for the year. That was up almost 15% compared to last year. The average revenue per shipment was up a little over 18% compared to 2020. So um, that shows you exactly, and their tonnage was up uh, around 4% for the year. So you increase tonnage, you add increased rates on that top of that tonnage, and it's no surprise they did well. Um, but it's not just that, uh, look, I'm not a cheerleader for Arc best. And you don't have to be to recognize that the company over the past several years has invested in a lot of technology, a lot of equipment, uh, and a lot of people uh, to be positioned um, to take advantage of, of this uh, this reality in the supply, uh, supply chain.
0: All right. That's the business part. Let's now go to politics and talk about Arkansas Senate District 27 represents much of Ford Smith. We have a GOP primary setting up.
2: Yes, um, earlier this summer, I was in June, I believe, Representative Justin Boyd. um, He's been a um, representative representing parts of Fort Smith for four terms now uh, in the Arkansas House. He is going to run for the Senate district, which has opened up. Uh, It's a newly drawn of course after the 2020 census. It's a newly drawn district. So he had announced for it. Well, earlier this week, Kelly Proctor Pierce, she's an attorney here in Fort Smith she also announced, um, as a Republican. So that race, um, will be, will be interesting. Uh, uh, Kelly, she ran unsuccessfully in 2018 for a house seat, uh, lost narrowly. Um, it was 51% to 49% essentially, uh, to representative Cindy Crawford. So it was a narrow loss there. So she's back in it. Um, that'll be interesting for, The Fort Smith folks, so far, no Democrat has yet to announce for the seat. Um, And uh, if you're a Democrat, unfortunately, um, the Fort Smith area is one of those um, areas in Arkansas, like many areas of Arkansas, where just having an R by your name gets you to a victory in November. And so really the only contested races uh, in this part of the world are in those GOP primaries so that'll be interesting in and, and we'll see so we've got we've got some time the filing period uh, for the May 24th primary election begins February 22nd and ends March 1st uh, mm-hmm. that's when we'll really know who's in the race right now you know it's one thing to announce it's another thing to file and make it official so um it'll be this will be the probably the most talked about race in the Fort Smith metro
0: and we'll get to talk about it a lot between now and the primary date uh right. folks talking about the um, pilot training center that's coming. Uh, it was last June, I think, when it was announced it would be in Fort Smith. There was a scoping meeting. Uh, help me out with what this term means. It,
2: yeah, it's a, I think it's a military term. Kyle's first time I've heard of it called a scoping meeting. It's essentially a town hall, um, and they're supposed to be held in public, but because of COVID, they were held virtually. Uh, there were two of them uh, that the Air Force held. Again, just by way of reminder, um, the Air Force has selected Ebbing Air Force uh, Base, Air Guard Base here in Fort Smith to be home to this foreign uh, pilot training center. It's part of the Department of Defense foreign military sales program. There will be F-16 and F-35 fighters, uh, primarily from Singapore, but other um, pilots from other countries who have purchased those planes can also train uh, in Fort Smith. Um Right now, the the initial look is that there'll be um, close to three hundred and eighty something folks um, come to Fort Smith from from Singapore, and there'll be could be up to six hundred or so uh, people, uh, more jobs from the Air Force to support um, this pilot training center. So um, it, it'll have a you know significant economic impact on the region, and. The process to select the center to make a final determination, which won't come until later, uh, is th- these public town halls. So really the only highlight, Kyle, is there were a few folks that got on and complained about you know, what kind of noise it would be. But for the most part, um, the folks who spoke uh, were positive about it. The one thing I learned, though, uh, that hasn't been any of the documents or press releases since is that the mission – it will begin, uh, the F-16s are set to arrive around June 2023. The F-35s can arrive uh, the following summer. And the mission uh, is expected to continue to 2030. I had not seen that end date, which is really not that far off. Um, so, you know, the, the state and the city and the airport are investing close to $22 million to extend the runway. and There will be some other investments made in this. That seems like a lot of money just for a program that last, you know, seven, seven years tops. So, um, hopefully here at talk business, we're going to try to learn a little bit more about the, uh, if that is a hard date on that end date.
0: I was wondering, can that be something that can be extended if it's successful or
2: what have you? Yeah, that's, um, um, the air force, the, 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 one officer said that, um, if there's continued interest in the pilot training that the mission could continue uh indefinitely uh, was the word but um I again I just I want to know more about that 20 2030 day what why why is that said is it just tentative was it you know um is, is that the link of the the contract with Singapore I mean so there, there's more we want to learn about that day
0: all right finally almost every weekday morning around 5 30 or so I get with my dog, Daisy, and we take a walk around the neighborhood. We haven't done it the last couple of days with wind chills in the single digits. <laughs> dogs love their exercise. People love their dogs. Good news. Fort Smith Dog Lovers, a new dog park will be opening.
2: Yeah, and, and and this is tied to this foreign military pilot training center. The extension of the runway closed about a 20-plus acre park uh, at the end of the runway uh, for that construction. So the city um, didn't really have a plan at first to replace it, so there was some little bit of a some yelling from dog owners uh, who wanted their park back. So, um, the city of Fort Smith, Sebastian County, Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, have come together. They found 24 acres for a dog park. It'll have the trees, it'll have water features, uh, some, other, some other amenities. So, and it should open this summer. We don't have a cost yet. The folks are still working to design it, um, but, you know, the they won't have to pay for land. That'll be one good thing. Uh, it'll just be amenities. And, and once the park is developed, it'll be deeded over to the city of Fort Smith, so the city parks and rec can take care of it. So, but good news for uh, a lot of the dog owners, and kudos for a lot of the dog owners for uh, raising a little bit of hell when that happened. saying, hey, we, we need a we need a viable replacement. But the initial replacement was like about a one and a half acre mm-hmm. park, and the owners are like, no. You don't understand. So um, this, is a, this is a good replacement, good option. Yeah, a
0: tired dog is a happy dog. Michael <laughs> Michael Tilly covers all sorts of things at Talk Business and Politics. You can learn more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, stay warm. Let's talk again next Friday.
2: I will. Hopefully it'll be a little warmer then. Thank you, sir.
1: Method acting is the stuff of legends.
2: I could have been a contender. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs>
3: La-dee-da,
1: la-dee-da, la-la. You talking to me? We speak with Isaac Butler, author of a new book on how that approach to acting gained prominence, that conversation, and the latest news from Ukraine and around the world, Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. Only 12 University of Arkansas students have been named Rhodes Scholars. Rhodes Scholars and given a full scholarship to study at Oxford University in the United Kingdom. The most recent awardee, Coleman Warren, an honors industrial engineering and political science senior. He spoke with Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez Smith recently about his road to receiving the scholarship and his various roles in the community.
4: Coleman, thank you for joining us at Ozarks at Large. Many congratulations for being named a 2022 Rhodes Scholar. I think to start out, walk me through the process and the feelings you experienced when they announced your name as a recipient of the Rhodes Scholarship. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely a moment of joy. I was
5: uh, at my, I did the interview at my parents' house because it has better lighting and it was on Zoom. (laughs) And uh, they make you get in a waiting room and they announce it live in front of like every, every finalist is there. So it's a little bit daunting, because if they don't say your name, then of course you're very disappointed and you're disappointed in front of everyone. Um, And so I honestly don't even hardly remember my reaction because I I remember I just freaked out when they said my name and and I just like lost it. And then I realized like I was on camera and I look back, I was like, I am on camera. Like, don't freak out too hard. And then as soon as I got off the call and they like told me some clerical things, I just screamed. And then I called all the people that I love in my life and Um, told them the good news. And uh, yeah, it was a really exciting night.
4: What an exciting moment. And so what do you plan um, to study at Oxford and what are you most looking forward to?
5: Yeah, I'm planning to study uh, comparative social policy and do a really research focused degree. Uh, And so comparative social policies, comparing how different nations handle issues of income inequality, labor market failures, uh, affordable housing, affordable health care, the list goes on and on. How do different nations handle it, specifically developed nations? And then I'll create a thesis essentially exploring the relationship between like child and family policy and uh, how rural children experience hunger and then essentially how that leads to like long-term economic growth or stagnation, right? Uh, You name it. Um, And so Yeah. And so that's what I plan on studying. And what am I most excited about? I'm excited to experience a new place and a bunch of new people. I'm from Farmington, Arkansas, which is five miles down the road from the university. And this is where I was born and raised. And so I'm really excited to experience a new place and a bunch of new people and new perspectives. And ultimately, I think it'll it'll be a really life-changing experience and give me a lot of fresh perspectives on home.
4: Wonderful. And I think the million dollar question is right now, you know, what sparked this passion for researching and working with issues like food insecurity and poverty and looking at that from a political perspective?
5: Right. I think that there's, there's a lot of factors. Uh, I spent a summer in Omaha, Nebraska as an AmeriCorps VISTA, and I worked for their summer feeding program called Kids Cruising Kitchen. And my job was to make, we fed about 600 kids a day. And my job was to make the kids want to come back for more than just the food. And that's a really fun job. And you really get to know these kids. You get to know their names, their families, like, you know, their siblings and what they care about, what they like to do. And for me, it gave me a fresh perspective, a really, really new perspective on what child hunger actually looks like and how if we can't fix if we can't fix the food insecurity that's facing so many Americans, uh, we're not, it's not about the education system, right? Like I think it's not about the education system if these kids don't even have full bellies. Like how can they focus on their homework if, you know, or or whatever they did at school that day, if they don't know where dinner's coming from. And so I realized like that's a problem that needs to be solved. And then my desire to do it politically is because I think that that's where I could create the most change to, to fight child hunger and to fight these sort of social inequities that we see across the U.S. and really, really strongly in Arkansas. And so um, yeah, I think the solutions are ultimately going to be political, at least for someone like me.
4: And I read from an earlier profile that you had started your own business. How did you come up with the idea for Simple and Sweet and the following <laughs> projects that it is sponsored? Okay
5: it feels, it can feel sort of out of place, like ice cream, like this. I, I'm i actually, I'm not a chef. Um, and so that's an interesting piece. But when I was in, I, I am a sweet tooth, right? And so when I was in Omaha, I actually would try a lot of their local, you know, restaurants and desserts. And everyone always told me about their great ice cream shops. And so I was very skeptical um, because we had a lot, we have a lot of ice cream shops down here that are like ice cream labs and you know, this or that. And so I was pretty skeptical until I tried it. And I realized that we didn't have really exceptional artisanal ice cream in Fayetteville. And so when I came back, I was like craving the ice cream, but I was like, that's, I'm not going to start an ice cream business like that. I want to fight child hunger. Like I was like, I was more service oriented. I was like, I'm not trying to start a, a small business. But then I realized that that was the gap that I, I needed to fill. And like, we could really serve more effectively by raising awareness of child hunger through a small business and raising money for a lot of the nonprofits around here that are doing really, really great work.
4: How much money have you raised and what, you know, what nonprofits have you worked with? Right. Yeah. I Arkansas? should even
5: say, I should even say that um, really with simple and sweet, it's the Northwest Arkansas food bank. I mean, we're a Northwest Arkansas company uh, and, and we're really about trying to give back to this community. It's not about, hungry kids on another continent um, to, Cause I think in many ways, like that work is so important. It's important that we're global citizens, but we have so many hungry kiddos like right here in our backyard. And we can't just sweep that under the rug and we need to be sure we're supporting our community uh, as strongly as possible. And so, yeah, we, we donate to the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank cause they can really efficiently distribute those meals. So far we've donated 15,000 meals I wish that number was a lot higher. It is; it's a great number, and we're super proud of it. Um, but we're hoping that this summer we'll see a lot more growth. You know, with the the trailer having a full summer of hot months. There's a lot of factors, but um, the other nonprofit that it contributes to is actually one that I've started called Simply Feeding, and Simply Feeding is a entrepreneurs entrepreneurial mentorship education program for rural school districts. And so right now we're piloting the program at Mulberry School District where the kids in um, one of the business courses are basically starting their own ice cream business, but like within their community. And they like do their own, they figure out how to brand it. They figure out how to project the financials, how to run like the in, you know income statements, balance sheets, whatever, how to like sell a good and market a good because it looks different. You can't just be like, yeah, we put it on Instagram. It's marketed like that's not um, always the most effective tool. And so all of those things just to get these uh, not only to empower these kids to want to start their own business or maybe go to college, but also to show them how to think strategically and critically about solving problems.
4: Wow. And so we have what an entrepreneurial mentorship program a small <laughs> business asg president i mean what do your days look like how how do you manage your time with all with these multiple projects going on at the same yeah. time
5: my days are a lot of fun because i have a lot of wonderful people around me uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to do any of this without teams and so often like i can get credit for things that are just that are people that I'm just lucky to have uh, in my corner. And so um, my days are, once again, they're just a lot of fun. I get to work with a lot of people. I get to think strategically about like what direction I want to move these projects in and then try to recruit good people and good teams to help execute uh, these dreams. So, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's keeping a good calendar and a checklist, but.
4: (laughs) I love that. And, we touch lightly on your work with ASG as president. Um, how what other projects have you sponsored? Um, what are some of the the bigger accomplishments there?
5: Right. With uh the student body president job, we've had a really successful year so far, and that's because we have once again an incredible executive team, an incredible cabinet and senate, and um all the branches. And so what some things we can really hang our hat on is we um at the transition uh, into, into like my administration, we expanded the Title IX office in collaboration with the university, got students in that selection process for new title, the new Title IX coordinator and the new hires. We um, got a $20,000 know, fund from the chancellor for, for expanding sexual assault resources on campus. We implemented content warnings to support our, better support our survivors on campus whenever there are campus notifications. We've grown textbook savings by over half a million dollars. Uh, We've had a really successful student poll, and that's leading to academic advising reform to ensure that more students are able to access better career advice and and advice on what classes they should take. And that so that way, every student from every college has the same experience. It's been good.
4: Very busy, and I'm sure there's a much longer list there. (laughs) None that has been mentioned. Coleman, again, thank you for speaking with us, and it's been a pleasure.
0: After attending Oxford, Warren plans to return to Fayetteville and raise a family with his fiance. He says he hopes he can use the skills and knowledge from Oxford to serve his community in whatever capacity he can through either starting another social entrepreneurial business, working with nonprofits, or joining the political sector. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke with Coleman Warren over Zoom last week.
6: Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Fayetteville Public Television offers classes in project planning and video production, plus accessibility to equipment and broadcast channels to share videos with a viewing audience. Serving all residents of Washington and Benton County, Fayetteville Public Television can help people turn video ideas into reality. F-A-Y Public Dot TV for more information.
0: This is Ozarks at Large with me from her snow bunker in Bella Vista is Becca Martin Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Happy Friday, Becca.
3: <laughs> Thank goodness. I was going to ask you if you were nervous about Fran Liebowitz tonight, but I guess you have a few months to not be nervous.
0: I have a few months to forget everything that I learned about Fran Lebowitz. I mean, uh, yes, the shorthand here is tonight was supposed to be a a public conversation that I would moderate with uh, the humorist and writer Fran Lebowitz. Obviously, the weather is changing things. So now it's going to be November 29th. That's a Tuesday.
3: Like November 29th is safe.
0: Well, that's a very good point, Becca.
3: (laughs) But we won't talk about that now. You know, I threw one of my new reporters, Monica Hooper, to the wolves, and that was a phone conversation when Fran was her first big interview. Mm -hmm. She did great, because the first question she asked was, what question are you tired of people asking you?
0: That's a great question.
3: And Fran Lebowitz said, this is now my favorite question. What was her answer? (laughs) I'm tired of people asking me why it's so hard for me to write. Obviously, if I knew, I would be writing more.
0: All right. So there's one question that I will not ask on November 29th.
3: Just keep that tucked away. I'll remind you before then. I appreciate If I remember we ever had this conversation. (laughs) Anyway, if you had tickets for tonight, they will be good in November, or the Walton Art Center will be in touch with you to refund your tickets or whatever you want to do. So stay in, stay warm. And we're going to talk about things coming up. Let me also say that Arts Live Theater is supposed to be doing a play called Hammer, Thor and Loki. Mm -hmm. Where Thor and Loki are typical kids and get in trouble this weekend. 7 o'clock tonight, 2 and 7 tomorrow, 2 on Sunday, and then again next weekend. Check at artslivetheater.com or call 521-4932 to find out if that's happening. And then we're going to look forward to summer.
0: I'm with you 100%.
3: We are starting to get the announcements of outdoor concerts. Rail Yard Live in downtown Rogers. And if you've never been there, shame on you. What a great venue. Opens with the Cinco de Mayo celebration on May 5th. Then they have The Cape Brothers and Arkansas and Boom Kinetic and Ultra Suede and Barrett Baber and Leah and the Mojo Doctors and Rosenbridge and the mixtapes and Rochelle Bradshaw and Hypnotion and the Nace Brothers and Benjamin Del Shreve. And they wrap it all up in September with Trout Fishing in America. And you can see the whole season at Rail Yard Live. And the Walmart app and Temple Live are wearing me out with announcements of
0: concerts. Seemingly every morning, right? You open up the uh, press release file in your email, and there's another concert announced.
3: There they are. Jai Scrobin is coming to the app on July 21st. Tickets go on sale today. The Black Keys are coming in October. Tickets go on sale today. At Temple Library, Wiley Hubbard is coming February 24th. Lane Hardy, March 25th, Forgotten Space, April 22nd, and Five for Fighting, May 6th. All of those are on sale, and we'll have more because it's at the time of year. And finally, I have gotten to theater. Next weekend, two shows open. You need to see both of them. Smoke on the Mountain is a musical about the bands and families that used to come to small-town churches for revivals. They've done this show before at Fort Smith Little Theater, and they're bringing it back for their 75th anniversary season. It opens February 10th and continues weekends through February 20th. Tickets are $20 for opening night. They do have a Valentine's Day performance, and you can find out more at FSLT.org. And then I got to see rehearsal this week for the next show at Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers. It's called Something Rotten. It's set in the Renaissance where William Shakespeare is the king of playwrights and a pair of brothers are trying to compete with him. They can't figure out what to do. And then they get a prediction from Nostradamus that the next big thing in theater is going to be something called a musical Right. The song, A Musical, lasts almost eight minutes. Oh my. Nostradamus is played by Rusty Turner, who happens to be my boss at the newspaper, but has a beautiful tenor voice. And the song references musicals from Avenue Q to Les Mis to Cats to Sweetie Todd to Evita to Rent. It's hilarious. That opens on February 11th and continues... Through the 27th on weekends, tickets start at $25, and you can make your reservations at ArkansasPublicTheater.org. The Eureka Springs Chocolate Festival is back this year mm-hmm. on Saturday the 12th, 12.50. You can sample all the chocolate that you can stand, plus there are vendors selling things from clothing to jewelry to jams and jellies, and... Information booths about things like Turpentine Creek. This takes place from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on the 12th at the Eureka Springs Community Center, which okay. is at 44 Kings Highway. Mm-hmm. And you can find out more at the Eureka Springs Chamber or at Eureka Springs Chocolate Fest on Facebook. And if you read What's Up Sunday, you'll find out about two exhibitions for Black History Month. I've forgotten what else. <laughs>
0: Well, don't tell us everything. That way we have to go Sunday and look at yeah. what's up. That's a good idea. You should do that. Okay. Becca Martin <laughs> Brown is so busy. She can't remember everything she's covered in the past seven days. And she is with us almost every seven days on Fridays. She's the features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thank you, Becca. Stay warm,
3: friends.
2: That's Sonny Stitt in the background. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this edition of the show, we'll hear more from Sonny, celebrating what would have been his 98th birthday. We'll also hear from Don Braden, John Coltrane, Dave Brubeck, Chick Corea, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF every Friday and Saturday.
0: Shades of Jazz tonight at 10 on KUAF 91.3, and tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m., on KUAF3, on your HD radio, through the KUAF app, or at KUAF.com. The documentary, If This Walk Could Talk, a collection of experiences about the University of Arkansas's first 150 years, will premiere Thursday at the Faulkner Performing Arts Center and virtually on the U of A's YouTube channel. We invited the film's producer, multi-Emmy award winner Larry Foley, to the Carver Center for Public
1: Radio to explain why he chose Senior Walk with the name of
0: every graduate as a starting point for the film.
1: We have some great traditions on campus. We have the Razorbacks, we have the Hog Call, we have Old Main. But I remember John White, when he was president, telling me that, you know, the, the tradition that we have that, that is unlike anybody else's is Senior Walk. And I have been on faculty here in my 29th year. I went to school here as an undergrad. I literally grew up on this campus, moving here when I was two. And my dad's name is on there from the class of 1958. So every story on that walk, every name on that walk has a story. And so there you go, if this walk could talk.
0: So with all those names,
1: with all those stories, how do you begin to put it into a film? You know, it was a, it was a struggle— for me to figure out how to do this, because I'm I'm at this point in my career where I've done some stuff,
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know.
1: Yes, and in fact, um, my my dear friend and longtime collaborator Dale Carpenter and I did a film on the university fifteen years ago we, that we called Beacon of Hope. Now that title was come that came right out of the the alma mater, mm. um, but I didn't want to do the same thing. I didn't want to do another classical, chronological history film about the U of A. And maybe no one else would care. I could have done another one with different stories. Sure. So I did struggle with, how are you going to do this, man? You know, what are you going to do? And so down the hall from my office in in, uh, journalism and, and in student media, we have a big collection of Cardinal and Razorback yearbooks, And so I went down there and I just started thumbing through them all the way back to the early 1900s, which is as far back as I could go with hard copies that we have physically in the building. And in every one of them are great old photos and a lot of wonderful prose, uh, reflections on time at the university as written mostly by unknown writers. Oh, really? Sometimes attributed but mostly not, by an editor, by a student, sometimes some really wonderful quotes from like faculty members or administrators. And so I had a graduate student at the time, uh, Travis Feltner, and I, I brought Travis in and I said, here's what I want you to do, Travis. And we talked about it. I said, I want you to go down there and I want you to start writing down every one of those little stories that you think is sweet. And then I went over to Special Collections and started digging for some things, Quotes from different folks, you know, all the way back to to Futral and and folks, um, and that was kind of the idea. That why don't we just tell it in first person by various voices that reflect on an individuals' time at the university, and then I will collect a number of in-person, face-to-face interviews, and maybe something file from time to time if we find something. Uh, And so the whole film is based on personal stories connected to Senior Walk. So
0: I imagine then the stories can deal with any number of things, classes, uh, falling in love, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. the Razorbacks.
1: All of the above. Yeah. You know, and didn't really restrict it. I mean, you know, you just kind of let them flow. Uh, You're looking for – diversity in stories, diversity in storytellers, um, diversity in eras, you know, high watermarks, challenging times. Um, yeah, you know, just things that, that uh, connected people in the University of Arkansas experience. And, you know, there's one of my favorite quotes that we come up with. And in fact, I had Travis read it. And, he, and he's talking about, well— He's writing, Dear Mom and Dad, well, college life has been about like you thought, and I'm in my second week, but I do think I'm going to have to to drop chemistry because I'm pretty sure I'm flunking. And by the way, can you send me a fraternity money for a fraternity sweatshirt? I mean, you know, that could be from any era. I was
0: about to say, you could have told me that was from 1905. You could have told me that was from last year. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's a difference, because if you're doing something about the Buffalo National River, you know that there there are stories that need to be in there because the fight to save it from being damned. Uh, if you're doing one on Fort Smith and, and its role in the frontier, well, you got to have Judge Parker. you got to sure. have Bass Reeves. This sounds like there wasn't necessarily a have to have.
1: Well, there were certain things you wanted to have in there. I mean, you really, you know, you have to have the the thread that ties it all together is certainly senior walk. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for images. You know, a big part of what I do is like the visual research too. And and by the way, one of the things we did here is that we shot nothing off campus. I was going to ask. The whole thing is shot on campus. Every every bit of it. That's going to be that your small actually. Incorrect. I just said th- not exactly right. We did drive to Little Rock and interview Janice Kearney, who I asked to write a little bit of a commentary because she's a great writer. Mm-hmm. And so we did go to Little Rock and, and got uh, y- you know Janice in her element, but but everything else was was really shot on campus. You know, Kyle, there are certain things if you're going to talk about the university you're going to have to do. You know, we do the origin of the Hog Call, the Razorback name, Old Main, Senior Walk. And different points in time. Um, We have some really sweet stories on those pioneers that broke the color barrier. You know, our Jackie Robinson's, and there was more than just Silas Hunt, Mm -hmm. um, and and how that connects. Uh, I, I really made an effort to tell diverse stories. There was a student from India who dropped by when we were doing our interviews and told me one of the most emotional stories I've ever heard about how he connected to the university because he saw all those names on the walk. And and we have a, a dreamer who was one of my former students, Ana Aguayo, mm. who tells – and I'd heard her tell this story before, who tells the story about walking across the Sonoran Desert when she was a little girl coming to Arkansas and how she comes to the university and how it changed her life. Wow. You know, so it, it is diverse in stories. It is diverse in storytellers. And, you know, we hear a lot now here we're entering into African American History Month about, you know, I'd never heard that story when I was growing up. I wanted to have these stories told by the people whose stories they belong to. And they were maybe a little bit outside of the norm. Some of those quotes from the
0: old yearbooks that were uh, without attribution, those are in here though, right?
1: We rely heavily on those stories, Kyle. Uh, I edited them a little bit. Um, You know, there's a—when you walk into Old Main and you you walk up from the the east side through the door— and um, there's a little plaque on the left side, and it's this face of this woman named um, Nettie Barnett, a member of the first graduating class in 1876. Um, and, and there's an inscription there. And I turned it into a little bit of artist license here. Sure, I turned it into Nettie's voice. And it says, After receiving my degree as a member of the university's first graduating class, I stuffed my diploma in the saddlebags, hopped on my mule, and rode off to my first teaching assignment. Mary Antoinette Nettie Barnett, class of 1876. That's what the plaque says. So I just sort of figured, well, they got that from Nettie. Sure. I turned it into first person. So I would do those little things. The editing was subtle, um, but the... The the students, now and back then, and even we have interviews with folks who aren't going to graduate for three or four years. Mm. Um, they really narrate the piece. They tell they tell the stories. Any mention of Dixon Street? You know this, Kyle, because <laughs> I ask you to to uh, to to read about Dixon Street. I, I ran upon in in an old Razorback yearbook uh, a a. Um, quasi-dictionary definition of Dixon Street. And one of the lines is something, uh, a place for hippies and their dogs. (laughs) And, you know, people from any number of eras are going to connect to that. Yep.
0: Did you think as you're making this, because this is being created during a pandemic, during a marker in history that people will be talking about for some time. I mean, someone's going to come along in whatever medium exists 70 or 80 years now, and they're going to think about this time, the time in which you were creating this film.
1: You know, that's an interesting comment, and um, this is not in the film, but when we shut down a couple of years ago this coming March, and I went in and talked with my students, and some of them were in the hallway, especially the graduating seniors were crushed by this. Of course. By this time, they knew they were being thrown off campus for all the right reasons, and they weren't going to go through graduation, and, and I I remember sitting around with, with sort of a collection of students saying, you know, I know this is disappointing. I don't know how in the heck we're even going to deal with this the rest of the semester. But think about it this way. This is not unlike what those students on campus were doing when they found out about Pearl Harbor or during the 1918 flu epidemic, which killed a bunch of people, by the way. Mm. Um, this is a momentous event that will always connect you and this point in time in history, um, well, they really weren't having any of that. They was like, yeah, but we're not going to get to go to graduation. So it's like, you know, I'm there waxing philosophically. They really didn't want to hear it. You know, Kyle, there are some scenes in this film with people wearing masks sure. because, you know, it's a documentary. And that's the way things looked from time to time. Um, and that will connect us to that point in time in history, which, by the way, we have no idea when that's going to end. There were surprises for you, yes. There are always surprises of things that you don't anticipate. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe I remember Randy Dixon, who's you know you interview weekly, who came across a film from like the '60s, and I mean it's a period piece, you know, and overly dramatic with the narration and the music. Well, I had no idea and I I did this thing 15 years ago. I didn't know that existed Mm. and that was kind of cool. But I think what I would tell you with this is that the approach was that everybody has a story and we want to collect some of the really, really good ones and so every story was a little bit of a surprise. You know, one of the things, and and some of these stories I knew about and I would go after, I knew Ana Aguayo's story about being a dreamer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I knew of a story that I had been hearing about, and it happened before I was a journalism student. It was a fire that happened in 1970 of Hill Hall that's long gone uh, for a long time uh, from about... 1945 to about 1970 was the home of journalism and it burned. And I had heard this story and I'd heard it from different people like Gerald Jordan and Skip Rutherford and and Brenda Blagg. And so I got Brenda and, and Skip to tell the story. And then um, uh, I got a note and and I I can't exactly remember who told me this. It was someone that we know. It may have been um, Charlie Allison or Dave Edmark, one of these characters that we all know, that <laughs> said, listen, I think someone shot some film of that fire. And uh, so I, I, I dug into Special Collections and talked to those folks. The film that was shot of Hill Hall burning, and I mean burning up, man, and, and the sun coming up and you can see it burned up. We've got, And it was just like sitting on a shelf. Oh, my. And so we got that transferred and that helps tell that story. I mean, we have the film, and I'm sure no one has seen this in decades. No one had ever seen it since oh. it was shot. Oh my gosh. Put you know, in the developed and sitting over there on a shelf in a collection in special, you know, this is like to me it's like digging for dinosaur bones. Yeah. It's great stuff.
0: <laughs> and I guess one reason deadlines exist is so you can Quit digging at some point? Because this sounds like something that you could have just kept going and being entertained and finding new stuff all the time.
1: Oh, it's a hoot. You know, when I when I had to, to go back and figure, because I figured we'd talk about, you know, when I did that other one 15 years ago. I don't think I'll be around to do another one in 15 more years. But somebody might be, mm-hmm. you know, and so we'll need to preserve what we're doing here. But I got to tell you, ma'am— there are a lot of universities who quit publishing a yearbook a long time ago, and we never have, and I've always said this in media board meetings. As long as I'm around and a voice in this room, uh, we're going to be publishing a yearbook. Uh, you know, all of those yearbooks are now online, but I still got a greater kick out of just walking down the hall and, thru- and thumbing through the pages and that walk through time, and we could scan those great images That were taken in, you know, the early years of the university. And what's great about those is that, yeah, they'll capture
0: World War I and they'll capture a flu pandemic, but they also capture the things you would never remember, you know, the things that were...
1: Oh, so temporary, but oh, so contemporary for the time they were. And sometimes, you know, when you're talking about a historical piece, you go back to family. Mm. You know, and I got to tell you, one of my favorite stories in this film, Charles Leffler tells it about his dad, you know, Dean Robert Leffler. long time. Leffler came here, you know, in the teens, the 19 teens. Yeah. Was a student and wrote the first 100 years book. But he was the dean of the law school when... Um, Silas Hunt and these other pioneers broke the color barrier. And um, Silas had to take all of his classes. He was only here for a short time and right. then he passed away of uh, TB, perhaps related to old war ro- wounds from, from World War II. But the next student in, Jackie Shropshire, um, they let him take a class or two and they put him by, behind a, a rail, like separated him fr- by a railing from the other white students. And so Charles, son of Robert Leffler, tells this story. Now, I don't know that he'd told anybody else. It's a family story. And he said, my dad heard about it. And he was enraged. And so he goes, the, 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 the night of when he found out about this, he goes down there and he takes a hacksaw and he saws off the railing and he stores it in the dean's restroom until the weekend. And then he came up to his office under cloak of darkness, and he took that railing home and burned it up in the family fireplace. Who knew this story? Talk about surprises. Yeah.
0: Larry Foley is the producer of If This Walk Could Talk. The premiere, including a virtual premiere on the University of Arkansas's YouTube channel, is Thursday night at 7. Foley is also the chair of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. The Walmart Amp
6: and Rogers welcomes back the artists behind the top 40 hits Out of My League and Hand Clap, Fits and the Tantrums, co-headlining their summer tour with Southern soul band St. Paul and the Broken Bones Thursday, June 23rd. Tickets are on sale now. Amptickets.com or 443-5600 for tickets and information. The Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville welcomes Math Moves, a collection of hands-on exhibits that invite playful exploration of ratio and proportion. Activities in Math Moves designed for all ages. Find more information on this and other experiences at
0: amazium.org. This is KUAF 91.3 FM, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors this Friday included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Michael Tilly with Talk Business and Politics, and Becca Martin-Brown, the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Additional content for today's show provided by the news staff at KUAR, Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. We return Sunday morning at 9 with Weekend Ozarks at Large, and then back Monday, after some thawing hopefully, with a uh, brand new week of daily editions of Ozarks at Large at noon and seven. If you ever miss an edition of Ozarks at Large or would just like to listen, listen to our show on your schedule, well, you can do that easily and inexpensively, free, in fact, by subscribing to or downloading the Ozarks at Large podcast available through any major podcast distributor. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Stay warm, be well, we'll talk again soon.